we pray, overrule and overwhelm. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and overrule and overwhelm these words that are spoken and these words that are heard, that they be in accordance to the word of God, within the will of God, for the glory of God, and for the good of his people, gathered here in the name of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as you, as you know, and as I've announced already, and, and maybe if you missed the announcement, you can feel the tickle in your throat and the burning in your nasal passages. Today is Pentecost. Amen. That's right. It's a, it's a high holy day where we bring out the incense. Now, if, if you don't like the incense, that's okay. Just wait. It won't be back out till Christmas. But I would say that, you know, I get so nervous when I'm swinging the censer that maybe I should practice it and do it more often. I don't know. Like every, every Sunday, right, Doug? Absolutely. Yeah, I heard the boo in that one. Half of it came from the choir. Today is Pentecost. Today is that day in the church calendar, the way we schedule the church year, that day in which we celebrate the historical event, the coming of the Holy Spirit within time and within history upon the church of Jesus Christ. And I make a really big deal about it because, quite frankly, I think it is a really big deal. When I was growing up, I attended a church, a church that loved Jesus, a church that preached the gospel, a a church that believed in the Word of God. All 66 books is inspired by God, but the church that I grew up within didn't talk much about the Holy Spirit. In fact, I could tell you that the only special day that our church celebrated between Easter and Christmas was Mother's Day. Now, I'm not trying to denigrate those faith-loving, or those Jesus-loving faith traditions that don't focus on the Holy Spirit, but I do think, and I had to come to understand and see, not intellectually, but with the heart, that the Holy Spirit has much to do with the church of Jesus, and has much for the church of Jesus. I quite frankly think that the church, capital C Church, has missed out on, and we continue to miss out on, all that God has for us as we ignore or we downplay the Holy Spirit. Biblically speaking, the Holy Spirit is the person within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We say this when we say the Nicene Creed. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He is co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent with the Father and the Son. And yet, quite frankly, with the way we often live our lives, the way our churches often structure our lives, we treat the Holy Spirit as a forgotten God. A.W. Tozer diagnoses it this way. This is the tragedy and woe of the hour. We neglect the most important one who could possibly be in our midst, the Holy Spirit of God. So today, we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Waiting for the rustling of, of, of angels' wings as we open our Bibles. Oh, yes, my, my wife's already there. <clears throat> waiting for the swipe of fingers as they work through their apps. Let me close Facebook. There's the Bible. Ah, the guilty ones laugh. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. So today as we look at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, I really want to ask 
and attempt to answer two basic questions. What actually happened on that day? What was going on? And then secondly, what difference does it make? Well, we begin by recognizing a couple of things about Acts chapter 2. All of it, the entirety of the chapter, or at least the first 41 verses of Acts chapter 2, are bound up with the event of that Pentecost after the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. The first 11 verses, first 12 verses, as we heard 11 of them read this morning, deal with the event itself, and then shortly after the event, the rest of the chapter deals with Peter's explanation of what was happening. Now, let's have a little bit of sort of historical context for us. Let's understand what the day of Pentecost was prior to the pouring of the Holy Spirit upon the gathered believers of Jesus. The day of Pentecost was, was one of three so-called pilgrim festivals within the Jewish faith. A pilgrim festival was one, a festival established in the law of Moses, in which it was expected for all Jewish males to go up to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices, offer thanksgivings, to worship the Lord in the temple. The three pilgrim festivals, first, Passover, second, the Feast of Tabernacles, and then, of course, this, the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost is also called the Feast of Weeks in Old Testament Scripture, and it was to occur seven weeks or 50 days after the Passover. And Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, was established to be a celebration of the first fruits of the wheat harvest. After the first fruits of the wheat harvest were gathered in, people would take fr freshly baked loaves of bread with that new flour that had been ground out of the first fruits of the wheat harvest. And they would take flour itself and they would go up to the temple and offer sacrifices and offerings of thanksgiving. Now, that's awesome. It's exciting to know that little tidbit of knowledge, right? For some of us. But there was more to Pentecost than just a harvest celebration. There's more to Pentecost than a harvest festival. There is evidence that Pentecost was closely associated with the giving of God's law, God's teaching, the Torah, through Moses to the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. A Jewish Jesus disciple, David Stern, points out that the three pilgrim festivals each were associated with a major historical event in the life of Israel and a major religious theme in the life of Israel. So, for example, Passover was associated with the historical event of Exodus out of Egypt. And the religious theme is the creation of the Jewish people. Pentecost was connected to the historical event of God giving the Torah, the, the teaching, the law, to Moses at Mount Sinai. That's a historical event, and its religious theme is one of revelation. Now, why do I bring this up? I bring this up because I think it helps us to understand what's happening there in Jerusalem on that morning of Pentecost. See, just as the people of Israel came to the foot of Sinai and received a gift from God, a gift from God that was accompanied with fire and with wind, and a gift from God that set them apart as distinctly God's people. 
So the people of Jesus are formed around and by a gift from God that comes accompanied with the signs of theophany, fire, and wind, and given that sets them apart distinctly as God's people in Jesus. What we're seeing, I believe, in Acts chapter 2 is a Sinai event, a new and better Sinai. And I'll explain that in just a minute. Luke says, Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. I say that this is a better Sinai because the gift that was given is a a better gift. The sacrifice of Jesus, Hebrews tells us, the author of Hebrews tells us, was a better sacrifice and the gift of the Holy Spirit was a better Torah, a better teaching, a better law, if I can put it that way. Because what this does, what this new Sinai, this new covenant Sinai, what the day of Pentecost does is it fulfills the promises of God And it brings into believers, individually and corporately, the very presence of God. You see, in Ezekiel chapter 36, chapter 36, verse 26, God had said to his people, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Jeremiah, the prophet in chapter 31 of his prophecy says this, God says, I will put my law within them and I will write on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. What we see here in Acts is the law of God What we see here in Acts is the new heart given by God. What we see here in Acts is the Spirit of God coming to indwell the people of God so that they can obey, so that they can be God's people, so that they are set apart as distinct from the rest of creation. In a very real sense, as the Holy Spirit descends upon the people of Jesus, gathered together, as the Holy Spirit fills each of them, we have a better Sinai. A better Sinai because the Torah, the law, is no longer an external thing. As God has said in Jeremiah, it is now an internal thing written upon our hearts. It's a better Sinai because no longer is the Torah, the teaching, the law of God, something that is mediated through a prophet like Moses or a priest like Samuel. Now it is mediated directly to a person through the presence of the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God within us. God's promises in the Old Testament are fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. Jesus' promises to his disciples are fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. And the people of Jesus are given this gift of grace. Now we know the results of the descent of the Holy Spirit. The men and women gathered in that house, each filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in unlearned human languages as they Luke tells us, tell the mighty works of God. And the crowd who heard them speak asked, what does this mean? What does this mean? Peter tells them. Peter tells them in this magnificent sermon. 
Peter overcome and filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter speaking out explanation. This is what this means. These people are standing before you proclaiming the mighty acts of God in languages they haven't learned, but you understand this event means that God has fulfilled his promises, that God has poured out the Holy Spirit in fulfillment of his promise to the prophet of Joel because Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. Even though you crucified him, God raised him from the dead. More than that, God exalted him as he ascended into heaven. And from the right hand of God, where Jesus now sits to rule and reign, he has poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. This Jesus, the same one you crucified. And Luke tells us they were cut to the heart. They were called to repent, to be baptized, to receive forgiveness and to receive the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people did. That's pretty effective evangelistic outreach. 3,000 people on a given day. I'd probably run away in fear if 3,000 people converted on a single time. That's what happens on Pentecost. But what difference does it make? What does Pentecost do what does the Holy Spirit do? Or is this something that's just caught up and, and bound in time and history? You know, maybe 33 years after, uh, or a few months after Jesus was crucified and raised, 50 days after Jesus was crucified and raised, you know, 30, the year A.D. 30, 33. Is it, is it just bound up there in time and history? Is it trapped? Is the Holy Spirit stuck? No. In the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And if Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, the promises of Jesus are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The Holy Spirit is just as relevant, just as necessary for Jesus' church today in 2017 as it was in Jerusalem in that year. What does the Holy Spirit do? Well, I think we're going to look at it this way for the next few minutes. The Holy Spirit empowers people to be Jesus' kingdom people. And we need to look at that in three ways. The Holy Spirit empowers people to first believe in Jesus. The Holy Spirit, second, empowers people to behave as Jesus' kingdom people. And the Holy Spirit empowers Jesus' people to minister and witness as Jesus' people. In his commentary on the book of Acts, Anglican pastor and theologian John Stott wrote, Without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, even impossible. The Holy Spirit is necessary because the Holy Spirit empowers people to be Jesus' kingdom people. The Holy Spirit empowers us to respond to the gospel of grace with faith. About the presence of the Holy Spirit, Ben Witherington has written, Throughout Acts, the presence of the Holy Spirit is seen as the distinguishing mark of Christianity. It is what makes a person a Christian. What difference does the Holy Spirit make? He empowers people to believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'm not just making this up. Read John chapter 14. Read John chapter 16. Jesus there discusses the Holy Spirit with his disciples, and there he makes it quite plain. The Holy Spirit convicts people of their sin. Without the Holy Spirit, 
holding up a mirror and convicting us of our sin, quite frankly, folks, we'd basically be sociopaths. Not feeling any remorse, not feeling any guilt. It'd kind of like, be like the seniors in high school that I once taught. <laughs> Being a teacher, of course, you have to re- correct behavior. And far so many times, I found the student was remorseful, was sorry, not for the behavior that got them into trouble, but because they got caught and were now in trouble. That's how we would be without the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, arouses within us the need for Jesus, and the Holy Spirit teaches about Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, we read that at Peter's preaching, they were cut to the heart. It wasn't Peter's eloquence. Peter was a guy who had a taste for toe jam. He put his foot in his mouth so many times. He's not eloquent, but the Holy Spirit speaks through him, works through him, and cuts to the heart. The men and women who hear him. It's the Holy Spirit that works to give a new heart. It is the Holy Spirit that creates new birth. And so that people may believe in Jesus, trust in Jesus, and continue in their faith in Jesus. If you are convinced in Jesus by the eloquence of a man's preaching, eventually as the eloquence of that man's preaching falls off when he's not so good, and trust me, there's Sundays when we're not so good, Your faith will decline. But if your faith is in Jesus because of the Holy Spirit doing work in you, then you'll be able to find a little nugget of something nice even every once in a while from a knucklehead like me. Thank you. That was my mother-in-law. Yeah. You see, this is the first thing that the Holy Spirit does. He empowers people to believe in Jesus. In fact, St. Paul states in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, no one can say Jesus Christ is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. The very fact that you can say Jesus Christ is Lord is because the Holy Spirit is at work in you. Secondly, The Holy Spirit empowers people to be Jesus' kingdom people, and this includes how they behave, how they live. In the Old Testament, God talked about writing laws upon hearts. He talks about giving hearts of flesh and not of stone. And there he was talking about a deep and lasting transformation of the person, what they believed and how they lived. The Holy Spirit comes with power, Wonder-working power to transform individual believers into the people that God desires them to be. When the law is written upon our hearts, it is there so that we can now internally, actually, actively obey God. Not because we're so great at it, but because the Holy Spirit is there doing his work of transformation. Now, all of a sudden, not only do I want to obey God, but now I am capable of obeying God. Why? Because I'm great? No, because he is. And he has given the Holy Spirit to live within and to express out. In the power of the Holy Spirit, believers in Jesus can be done with sin. In the power of the Holy Spirit, believers in Jesus are no longer slaves to sin, but are now slaves to righteousness. Because of Jesus' great gift of the Holy Spirit, it is now possible to actively live a life pleasing to God. Because the Holy Spirit brings about growth. The Holy Spirit brings about transformation. It is the Holy Spirit who grows fruit of good character in Galatians chapter 5. It is the Holy Spirit who grows uh, fruit of good living within Jesus' kingdom people. 
There is such grace in this. Such grace that God gives to his people in Jesus Christ. Grace to believe in the power of the to believe through the power of the Holy Spirit. Grace to be different through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is amazing grace. This is amazing kindness. There's one more thing to be said about the difference the Holy Spirit makes. He empowers people to believe. He empowers people to be done with sin. And he empowers people for ministry and for witness. As the book of Acts unfolds, we need to remember Jesus' words from chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth, and as Forrest likes to add, even destined Florida. We need to remember this verse because the rest of Acts is the unfolding of this mission. Jesus' disciples received the power of the Holy Spirit and then were unleashed for witness and ministry. Witness and ministry both externally and internally. Externally to those who do not yet believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior and internally serving among the body, the church. Peter's a great example of this external witness. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, Peter was given wisdom and words. With clarity and conviction, Peter proclaimed Jesus to the crowds on that morning of Pentecost. <clears throat> and as the days, weeks, and years unfolded, Peter proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ with courage over cowardice. And it wasn't just Peter. Those filled with the Holy Spirit on that day of Pentecost spilled out into the streets and proclaimed the mighty works of God. All who believe in Jesus are given the Holy Spirit exactly for that point to proclaim the mighty works of God in Jesus Christ. Peter talks about this in his own letter in 1 Peter chapter 2. He talks about people being formed, not a people, now a people in Jesus Christ for a purpose, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The Holy Spirit empowers that. But there's also empowerment for internal ministry. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is careful to write that all believers are given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And there, using the metaphor of the body, Paul proclaims that each member of a church is given a place and a purpose, empowered by the Holy Spirit for service to the whole. Church members, just like members of the human body, have the calling and responsibility, and they have the empowerment by the Holy Spirit to serve and minister to and within the church for the common good. Even if we don't feel like we're equipped, but we sense a calling to serve in a particular place where we're uncomfortable, the Spirit will equip us and empower us to do that which He has given us to do. As we seek to be a church that glorifies God by blessing people with gospel ministries, that they may believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior and join us in building his kingdom. Folks, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to empower us for ministry within our church. Are we serving to capacity within our body? 
We need the Holy Spirit to empower and encourage external witness to the mighty works of God. Are we proclaiming the mighty works of God in Jesus Christ with intention, with urgency, with clarity, with courage over cowardice? We need the Holy Spirit to empower those we encounter to believe. We need the Holy Spirit that we may continue to grow and mature in our belief and faith in Jesus. That we may grow in our love and knowledge of Jesus to be formed in His image. The Holy Spirit fell on Pentecost in order to empower people to be Jesus' kingdom people. We don't need another Pentecost. We've got the first one. Sequels are never better than the first. What we need is a perpetuation of the original. Now, how does that happen? I'm glad you asked. Do you know that in order to have the release of the Holy Spirit in your body, in you, in your life, all you have to do is ask in Luke chapter 10, Jesus says to the people around him, if you, an evil and adulterous generation, as a father, know how to give good gifts to your sons when they ask for a fish, or when they ask for this or that, what about the Father in heaven? Do you not know, Jesus says, when you ask for the Holy Spirit, he will give? If we believe in Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit within us. The problem is, we treat him a little bit like Alka-Seltzer still in the package. You guys know what Alka-Seltzer is, right? Kaleo students, Alka-Seltzer, we're good? Yeah. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. Yeah. What happens if you have Alka-Seltzer in one hand that's still in its package and Alka-Seltzer in one hand that's been unwrapped and you drop both of them into water? The Alka-Seltzer's both in the water, right? One fizzes and one doesn't. I think you see what I'm trying to say. Basically, we ask for the Holy Spirit to be released in our life. What we're asking for is that the package is opened. That the Alka-Seltzer touches the water, begins to bubble, fizz. That the Holy Spirit plops, plops, and fizz, fizz. Brings us relief and life and empowerment to be exactly who he wants us to be. Let us pray, not for another Pentecost, but for the perpetuation of the original. That we would be exactly who God calls us to be. We're going to worship the Lord here for a few minutes. We're going to offer prayers, and we are going to celebrate the Eucharist this morning. All throughout this time, the Holy Spirit is going to be at work in you and upon you. If at any time you want to respond to the Holy Spirit and receive prayer, come forward. We've got several prayer ministers who I know at the drop of a hat will come up and pray with you and for you. Be open to what the Spirit wants to give as he empowers us to believe empowers us to behave, and empowers us to witness and minister. I've said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy and gracious God, we 